Welcome to this bonus episode of The Reading Cure. In this episode, we'll be discussing the film The Shawshank Redemption, directed by Frank Darabont. Welcome to The Reading Cure, your monthly dose of bibliotherapy. My name is Dr Stephen Davis and my co-host is Dr Alexander Fox. Now in this bonus episode, as we've done previously, we'll be discussing a film rather than a book. Uh, The movie we're going to talk about is The Shawshank Redemption, a much loved and critically acclaimed American movie released in 1994 uh, based on a Stephen King short story. Now, the film was adapted for the screen and also directed by Frank Darabont, who would go on to adapt King's 1996 novel, The Green Mile, five years later. The Shawshank Redemption stars Tim Robbins as Andy Dufresne, a man who has been wrongly convicted of murdering his wife and her lover and is sentenced to serve two life sentences at Shawshank State Prison. In time, Andy befriends Ellis Redding, known as Red, played by Morgan Freeman, who has become an adept and well-connected smuggler of contraband during his long tenure in the prison. In their first conversation that we see, Andy asks Red to procure him a rock hammer, which he says is for doing some amateur geology. He later also requests a large poster of the actress Rita Hayworth for his cell wall. And during his 19 years in Shawshank, the same spot on Andy's wall remains covered by posters of famous actresses. And of course, famously, we later discover why this is. Andy has been using his tiny rock hammer to incrementally scrape away at the wall behind the poster and eventually carve out an escape tunnel, which he uses to gain his freedom. During his time in Shawshank, former banker Andy strategically assists staff with their tax returns and ultimately comes to manage what is essentially a vast money laundering enterprise constructed by the prison's warden in order to exploit the prisoners as a virtual slave labour force with which to enrich himself. Andy uses this favoured position with prison staff to gain privileges for his fellow inmates notably in the creation of a well-supplied prison library in which Andy, as chief librarian, assists other inmates in gaining qualifications. Moreover, Andy's financial savvy is such that he has created bank accounts with aliases to house the warden's ill-begotten gains, but which he himself will come to cash in upon as part of his masterful escape plan. Following Andy's disappearance, his now close friend Red is left somewhat bereft, and when he's finally granted parole after 40 years of imprisonment, finds himself alone and in despair as he unsuccessfully tries to rejoin society. Fortunately though for Red, Andy has woven his friend into his ingenious escape plan and has left a box with money and directions for Red that allow him to follow Andy to his idyllic new life on the Pacific coast of Mexico. The film was nominated for seven Academy Awards in 1995, including Best Actor nominations for both Freeman and Robbins. It has been enduringly popular since the late 1990s and has remained top or close to the top of the IMDb user-generated charts throughout the last 20 years. So the first question, Alec, about the Shawshank Redemption um, tonight is about the the main character, Andy Dufresne. Um, In this this film, he displays a mixture of courage, patience, 
uh, inscrutability and savvy, a, a range of qualities. I was wondering what you made of him as a character and how much he, stri- he struck you as being plausible. Yeah, well, if we're looking at the issue of plausibility, uh, I think we have to bear in mind that this is, uh, you know, a very rare kind of person, uh, as I think it's depicted in the movie. You know, out of all the prisoners, um, he is someone that is very different to the race, not just because he was innocent, <laughs> even yeah. though that is one of his distinguishing features in in that prison, but also the his way of being is very different. So I think he is a very rare kind of person. And as far as a character in a movie goes, there is a there is a plausibility to him. There was a, a an internal coherence to the character. I didn't feel there was any aspect of him that sort of contradicted any other traits. So I, I did get the a sense of substantiality because he did the, the traits did kind of form this interesting coherence if that makes sense um yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for me what what struck me the most regarding him was um if i was to put it in a phrase that that he was a a shrewd idealist okay. and that's an interesting juxtaposition because he was not an idealist in the sort of pie in the sky way no. You know, someone that was simply a dreamer but did not do anything about it. He uh, he was a shrewd idealist. He he took uh, pains to uh, you know start up that library, uh, yep. even though he was mailing those letters for six years to get funding. There was this extraordinary patience and resilience, which is obviously reflected in how he deals with the jail itself. Uh, so he, he would attach himself or create these idealistic causes. But there was also shrewdness uh, to it because and this is where the, some of the nuance of the film comes into being in that, you know, the things that he did... Uh, to help the prisoners were also things that were helping him ultimately to escape. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I'll give you the example of the, the prisoners tarmacking the roof, and he gives some infan- financial advice to the, the the cruelest and most callous screw, you know, in yeah. the prison. Yeah. And and he asked, he asked only in return for them, you know, the men to get ice cold beers, you know, in, you know, yeah. uh, during their shift, which is obviously, you know, this very touching gesture uh, for for the men, you know, lending them this dignity that the imprisonment had, had denied them, especially the way that that, that particular prison officer had treated them. Yes. Uh, but, you know, there is another aspect to it, which is also that he is building up this trust with, uh, you know, the the prison establishment, which then allows them to do the books, which then allows them to, to, to you know, basically have this sort of uh, luxury sale in a way, or a, or accorded a degree of trust that other prisoners aren't given, which then allows them to, you know, create this tunnel and finally escape. So I think that you know, it's I'm not reading it cynically. I'm just reading it on a number of levels, which is that you know he is a shrewd idealist. He was he was thinking of others, and he was also thinking about his own escape ultimately too. 
Yeah, I, I I would agree with with that assessment, Alec. I think you're right. I mean, I'd also written, you know, in my notes that you know whether or not he's a realistic person, he would be a remarkably rare individual. And I think I think you're right the way that you, that you summed it up there. You know, it's a he is a coherent character, and I th- you know I think um, the choice of Tim Robbins was a good one for that part because he's quite a kind of understated actor. I thought it was interesting. I read um, just looking at some of the. The, the reviews and things that came out when the film was first released, there was quite a mixed response to his character. And just a few quotes I noted down, somebody, some critic had said, laconic good guy, Neil Gary Cooper. Somebody else had said cheesily messianic, comparing him to Forrest Gump going to jail, which I thought was really, you know, some of the, there was quite a lot of just um, maybe negativity about the fact he was a somewhat understated character in his presentation. But I, I really feel that, um, no, I think he is actually a really deep and interesting character. I think maybe, and I agree with your point about the, sh- the shrewd pragmatism, uh, the shrewd idealism, uh, sorry, uh, you know, a, a remarkable mix. What did strike me perhaps in terms of, you know, realism is you could say that he, um, you know, <laughs> just prior to that, obviously he's he's been you know, in a real state in his life. You know, he's obviously had alcohol issues. His wife's been murdered. He's been through this wrongful conviction. And you could say that it would probably be more typical for a person who had been through that experience and whose life was in a bit of a state of disintegration to disintegrate further when thrown into such a brutal environment as that prison, rather than become this really, you know, incredibly self-possessed and, you know, um, mission-oriented person but on the other hand you know you can tell me what you think about that to me i thought well maybe this is just what somebody does when they see how much their life is in danger you know even if it has been a shambles you know they draw deep down on the inner toughness and resilience they have because they need to or they won't survive you know so um um, well my thoughts on it yeah I, i can see your point and you know it raises the question about whether andy dufresne is meant to be realistic in mm. in the the more sort of literary sense, you know, like a realistic character in that way, or whether he is to be more archetypal yes. in some way. Now, I think I think the answer to the the issue of how plausible it is that he maintains or actually develops his integrity in prison. Uh, you know, how plausible that is would be dependent on knowing more about his past, which is something that is conveniently denied. It's, it's just sketched out for us um, in the movie. We don't really have any visceral sense of that past. It's not really portrayed to us. It's not really explained in any depth. So while it's intimated he had those problems, uh, because there's no real detail, then this 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 uh, Andy Dufresne of Shawshank, uh, you know, it isn't then implausible because to say it was implausible would be to have to know more about his history. Good point. Uh, really, yeah. is there? So I think yeah. that was the. Um, I think that was probably one of the intentions. Also, you know, if you look at the Green Mile, uh, which is another. St- Stephen King adaptation. Sure. If you look at John Coffey, the character, again, while it's not by any means identical with Andy Dufresne, both of them are messianic almost in some ways. Yes. And um, I think they perform in some ways a similar function in the narrative. Uh, and they're, they're not meant to have quite 
the full uh, drawn out history of, uh, I mean, you know, of uh, what a character would have in a more realistic movie. Yeah, I think I think that's a very good point. Um, I, I think the balance is actually perfectly struck in this film because it really is. It's more or less just in the opening credits you get these flashback scenes to yes. alcoholism and the murder. So it's so sparse, and as you say, so therefore nothing that happens subsequently could be construed as a contradiction. That's true. On the other hand, there is. I mean, again, you've probably come across this or thought this yourself, but a lot of critics i think mark kermode the film critic had yeah. mentioned that the religious symbolism you know the idea that yes. he has christ-like qualities he's yeah. maybe a symbolic character um I, there might be something to that well think, there, there well, could be there? and uh, i mean you know the fact that that king also has john coffee as a christ-like character jc yeah. in in the green mile i mean you know stephen king is a christian and he believes in good and evil in that christian way uh, so it yep. wouldn't be a surprise then that if he if he was portraying Christ-like figures, um, not exactly like Christ, obviously, but having that quality of you know stubborn goodness. In the case of John Coffey, it's it's uh, he is very innocently good. Yeah. Um, in the case of Andy Dufresne, it is more as I say a shrewd idealism. Uh, there, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a goodness that is certainly aware of the evil around it. Um, and so it's a, it's a little bit more nuanced to the John Coffey character, but there is still that Christ-like element of uh, there to help and heal other yeah. people. Definitely. Um, I mean, I think that's what makes him really quite a good and, and, you know, fairly unusual character, even just aside from the symbolic aspects, is the fact that, yeah, he is a, he's a really interesting uh, depiction of a really good man who is good in, in, in quite a, you know, idiosyncratic way, actually. You know, this really unusual blend of qualities, you know, that, that would lead to somebody having that almost combination of altruism and savvy that he displays actually you know it's interesting but well um, it, it could be the it could be the case that for andy dufresne that uh, his greatest temptation was even before he entered the prison which was when he had the gun uh i think that yep. was his real temptation point you know he, that was him at a crossroads and he he ended up doing the right thing, which is uh, uh, throwing away the gun. Unfortunately, someone else killed his wife and her lover, and he gets the blame for it. Sure, but but yeah, I think that would have been his greatest temptation there. Um, after that, he did not seem to be tempted to to um, do anything wrong. Really, you know, to put it colloquially, does it put a foot wrong? Yeah. Uh, since since then, I I think what's really important here is, you know that that little episode where he plays some opera over the prison radio. Do you remember yeah. that? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know afterwards he says that there's a place inside oneself that they can't get to. Yes, that they can't touch, and that that's um. The way I would put it, which I'm not saying that um, we can necessarily unpack it in the way that Andy Dufresne, the character, made it, uh, meant it, because he, again, it is more gestured towards than explained exactly what he meant by that. Yep. But I think part of it is that 
it is so easy for the prisoners to see themselves as nobodies in certain contexts, say like Edward Grimes when he is released, um, the elderly guy. Yeah, Brooks. And yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, he he feels that he is nobody in, in that outside world, and so he commits suicide. Yeah. Whereas Andy Dufresne never feels that he was nobody. He, he, he always feels that he is somebody, and he is trying to encourage that in other people, most notably Red. Yeah, that's well, indeed. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll and we'll obviously get on to um, the kind of relationship between the two, um, which is quite a fundamental aspect of the film as well. Actually, that kind of friendship, but the way that's depicted is quite unusual as well, in some sense. Oh, well, yes, yeah. But I, um, I suppose what he was saying, anyway, is that there, that there was a goodness in him and a sense of meaning that despite all the evil around him, um, it could not be contaminated or destroyed, yes. not, not in his case. And yet um, we know that many people could get so easily demoralized, but he, he had an extraordinary capacity to not be demoralized. I think I think you're right. Um, I mean, obviously, a little bit later on, we'll get into more of the issues of his his sense of guilt and redemption, yeah. as, as and and so on. Um, in terms of just following on from that that line of thought, there, um, you know, the second question we're going to discuss, really, which which links to what you were saying, was the qualities, attitudes, or behaviours that Andy Dufresne possesses, which allow him to escape this trap of institutionalisation that's mentioned, whereby prisoners such as Brooks can't function out with the prison you know that they're, they're, they've become yeah. so oh, i don't know limited as as people or so dependent that, that you know they or actually yeah. yeah they 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 can't you know so um i mean maybe I, I could give you a little you know what i was what i was yes. kind of thinking there yeah. um, about about yeah so the, the the qualities that andy Dufresne possesses aside from uh, obviously his kind of these symbolic aspects and so on um because it seems i i thought it's interesting that he Again, this complex mixture. He has this guilt that you mentioned, and therefore, to some extent, it seems he accepts his imprisonment without the degree of maybe bitterness that others, or or, or at least resignation. You know, it's a strange mixture. He accepts it to some extent, but he has, as you've been describing there, such a strong inner sort of you know compulsion towards freedom or sense of freedom and he and he can hold on to that and you know he's such a kind of quiet inward guy that he it's like he he can accept the imprisonment precisely because his you know this sense of of freedom and his own values is so strong in him you know that it just leads to this kind of strange patience actually which an endurance you know for i mean obviously he's subjected to ongoing brutal assaults by other inmates who've taken a, a dislike to him you know he has there's so many things he endures but as you said you know he, he it's this ability i suppose to just I, I actually reminded me a little bit of our conversation about victor frankel a number of months ago you yeah. know about this finding meaning you know this for him you know the 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 journey towards his freedom however unlikely it might be that he'll get it makes life meaningful for him and gives him the motivation and resolve to hang in there yes yeah um, may, maybe along with a bit of a sense that you know he, he deserved a bit of hardship because he hadn't lived his life that well you know so he can sort of almost justify not not what he's what he's received but the fact that okay maybe hardship was to some extent merited because he'd made bad life choices 
Um, um, yeah, I mean, the I think the victor, well, there's a number of things that could be said about that. I think the Victor Frankl connection is a good one, and Frankl would say that Andy Dufresne, one of the reasons why he was able to not only survive, but actually have a, a meaningful existence within that confines of the prison yeah. was that he lived a set you know as frankel would put it a self-transcending life so you know the focus on cultivating the library yes the focus on teaching the focus on uh encouraging um you know things like them having the the beer the you know to accord them some dignity yeah uh the 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 desire quietly and in a very subtle way to develop red self-respect and self-belief. Yeah. Uh, there is that self-transcending element there. Meanwhile, he's digging that tunnel. So that's <laughs> one of the beautiful things yeah. about it. Um, it. For me, it was a beautiful statement that, that you know the altruism and self-interest could coexist it's a it's one of the best presentations of that coexisting elements if you see what i mean i think you're absolutely spot and, on and I, mean, and I think it's very rare to see that um, ex extremely i mean on the one hand at first he seems this not very sociable inward guy maybe some of the other prisoners almost see him as a loner because he's quite reserved and self-contained but as you said everything he does that's meaningful actually involves others and um, even his escape ultimately because he shares that you know in the longer term with red so he's he's this funny mixture of somebody who's extremely caring ethical and wants connection with others he, he, but with a, t a really strong sense of his own individuality as well, you know, yeah. so he can he can look after both. Really interesting, yeah, balanced person, and yes, yet he can, yeah, he can yeah. endure even the solitary confinement. You know, even even that is endurable because he's got such a strong sense of himself. I think. Well, as he said, he took Mozart with him. Mm, yeah, um, you know, right. into that solitary confinement. In other words, what Mozart's music meant to him he could experience that even in solitary, in the hole, as it's called. Um, yes, he, yeah. could, he could be misconstrued uh, as a loner because, you know, he has he has good friendships with some people there, particularly Red. He's not, he's not aloof. No. But I think, again, there is almost that, um, yeah, I mean, there, there is almost some slight shadings of, of the Christ subtext in that people also have defined him yeah and you see and true. you see you see with with red that it is a meeting of Dufresne's you know great altruism also with red's great humanity too that they're able to meet each other in that profound way but i i think my impression is with Dufresne that that he was somewhat you know detached from the race of the prisoners because he, he did not want to immerse himself too much in that world. Um, in other, I think he was helping them to look up. It wasn't about him coming down to their, their level. 
I think that's um, a great great point. I mean, obviously, because the way it's it's described, you know, for as a, a number of months in prison initially, he is just himself, and it's really only because Red's a kind of open minded, as you said, kind of humanitarian minded person. Actually, a good person who's in there, obviously having yeah. made mistakes when he was younger. That yes. yeah, he can that can work. But yeah, these like the prisoners that um, abuse Andy and attack him. You know, they it's like they. I mean, obviously they're unpleasant individuals but they've also they've they've seen him as just conceited and it's like a power game you know they they just you know he they, he's become the enemy to them because of as you said what could be perceived as aloofness and and, and also a failure to um you know the fact he stands up for himself against them they can't they can't take that you know how he he doesn't yeah. fear them really you know he, that is you know well, that. well there, there is that and you could see um you know at these points where he, he's about to get raped that he stands up for himself as much as he can, even though the odds are against him. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's four guys onto on one. But I think, you know, that um, the rape and the sexual dynamics in that movie, that, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, that because he is somewhat detached from the rest, he then becomes this sort of, uh, person that uh, you know, certain prisoners want to rape to possess yeah. almost precisely because he is also so detached. If that makes sense, I think you, I think that's spot on exactly. It's that you know, he, he is different, you know, and he doesn't yeah. hide that, you know, and that is both what gets him through, but also, yeah, what gets him more negative attention, as you said. Well, yes, yeah, it makes him alluring to certain people that that then. Um, you know, repeatedly come on to him and rape him, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that is part of it. Um, part of what lends that desirability there for him. But I think you know the the the, the rapes and the uh, and enduring that, among other things, is is also to um, make his final freedom even more impressive and uh, moving absolutely yeah well that's uh, right again he just um he avoids the trap of despair or bitterness even though these circumstances must be unbelievably bleak and you know to live like that with that threat hanging over him yes it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem to you know distract him too much from his objective and well from, no yeah. no I, I i think one of the things that we've got to consider is that our experience of life and our fortitude or our degree of fortitude is, is very, is intimately related to our expectations about life. Um, you know, what life can give us, how difficult it's going to be. I mean, you know, therapists like Albert Ellis talked about frustration intolerance. Now, Andy yeah. Dufresne is somebody with, uh, <laughs> you know, remarkable frustration tolerance. And when Red comments about the fact that Andy crawled through three football pitches lengths of sewage yeah. to, to, to get his freedom... I think there was a statement there about life itself and about how Andy saw it. Andy knew that life involved trawling through a lot of shit. Yeah. And he was, yeah. and he accepted that. He accepted it and he could endure that to the, a phenomenal extent. And because of that, he got his final freedom. And and I think the religious subtext of that is, you, you know, very clear, which is that, you know, if this is like our hell here with all the indignities and difficulties, uh, those that can keep the faith 
maintain mm. their integrity and wade through it to their final salvation will be rewarded. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's really interesting. And you know, it's funny that um, you know the, the 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 unbelievably hypocritical, you know, ultimately sinister prison warden who espouses yeah. these religious maxims. You know, it's pretty clear that Andy can 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 do that too you know he's he's absorbed these religious verses but and and you know you don't necessarily get a sense that that's entirely insincere but of course he's also used his bible as the place to hide yes, his yeah. rock hammer you know so it's both you know these teachings you know it's ambivalent there it's almost like that there's a sort of faith quality to him but there's the pragmatism as well you know that well it's, yes it's a, a concrete yeah. kind of faith in a way Yes, um, there is. I, I mean, you know, he's a little bit like the Elmer Gantry character, the Burt Lancaster character, in that how much he believes is not really that clear. Yeah. Um, how much he is um, religious in the very literal sense is, is not clear. I, I mean, the way I interpreted the rock hammer in the Bible was that that was a you know, a, a beautiful condemnation of the, the warden's hypocrisy. Yes. Uh, that, you know, that he, he, this warden could quote the Bible, he could, um, you know, have that that sign up over his safe. <laughs> Again, <laughs> a great illustration, you know, it was to hide the safe yes. um, where he was doing all these tax dodges. Um, so, that you know, I think it was a condemnation of his hypocrisy as well as a convenient place to hide it because you know it would not be you know they wouldn't look in the bible uh oh and in a sense nobody had an interest in looking at the bible even if they might quote from it um <laughs> and so it was a safe yeah. place to hide it but yes I, I think um that capacity to well that expectation that that life could have a lot of shit that you wade through and that you might have to wade through that to emerge from it is something that Andy understood more so than the other prisoners probably. And and I'm also thinking about that Christian philosopher Gabriel Marcel that that he wrote about patience and hope. And he, he saw a profound connection between the two, that hope was a, a kind of patience. And you see that with Andy, that he is, you know, remarkably patient. And in a way, you can't be hopeful if you're impatient. You know, That's you true. can't be. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hope is, is playing the long game. And that's what Andy certainly was doing over those 20 years, playing the long game. And he could be hopeful. And uh, he knew that goodness was on the other side. Um, you know, one of the lines that affected me the most in the, uh, you know, in the, the film, mm -hmm. it affected me because, you know, I hope it's true. I don't know if it's true, but, you know, you would hope it was true, which is that goodness never dies. Mm, yeah. And, you know, Andy, that's obviously the Christian view. That would be Stephen King's Christian worldview, that goodness doesn't die. Yeah, but you know whether that's true or not is another story. But but Andy probably believed that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's an intriguing link. The uh, the idea, the patience, and and the hope. Because I mean, there's the scene obviously when 
when he's talking to Red and he and he you know I think he talks a little bit about that you know this future that he's imagining himself having and you know Red's take at that moment is oh you're you're torturing yourself you're thinking about this stuff about what you'd really like yes you're not you know and 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 you know his, and and that would seem like a kind of commonsensical view but actually it does seem to be the fact that Andy wants freedom so desperately much actually maybe so much he's so connected to you know, his kind of inner values and and in which freedom is, is is fundamental that he he can actually be more patient despite the the greater the desire for it. You know, it's that interesting mix, as you said. Well, I, th- game, I think you know? so. I mean, you know, Marcel is a Christian, um, Andy as as uh, this Christ-like figure in the story that uh, when Andy says about there's a part of himself inside that they can't, you know, reach. You could always say that's like the kingdom of heaven within, as a Christian would see it, and that that exists, and it's how you then reach that that's the issue. It's not the destination or the existence of that place is not in question if you're a believer. It's then how you how you carve out your own personal salvation and he does and he does it literally through constructing that tunnel yeah that's and it's it's quite an actually it's it's so well done in a sense that as we just discussed you know it's 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 unclear what his particular religious beliefs might be how much he takes the verse from the bible literally or he's yeah. interested in it but um yeah i mean like one one critic that i pointed out the fact that it's the def- defining quality of him is he, he's never defined by external values at all he's it's entirely from within his own perspective you know which is almost like a more yeah like a, as you said a lived version of christianity that doesn't need yeah. verses and you know whether or not he's interested in them it, it's irrelevant you know as you said it's so embodied and it's so in our but but self-transcendent it's both of those things you know through him yes yeah. yeah i mean it, it, you know he lives it he doesn't need to read about it necessarily so yeah. y- you know the the warden is like the pharisees is it you know the ones that could quote um yeah you know exactly. scripture and feel that they're saved but they could be hypocrites uh i'm sure yeah. the warden read that bible a lot more than what andy did but the thing is that the way they lived their lives was so so different uh, in fact the warden is uh, along with the the prison guard um are the two most evil characters in that in that movie movie depicts these acts of cruelty exploitation and corruption by both well, i think it's warden norton and the the chief prison guard byron hadley his name is um so in terms of the psychology of these individuals or the psychology of power and authority um is there anything we could learn from this film that might kind of shed light on on these characters or the kind of actions that they they take part in yeah, well, I was thinking about that, and I don't know if this was actually an intended social critique or not, but mm-hmm. it's quite telling that what brings the warden down is the tax evasion. Uh, you know, this yeah. idea that 
that is something that they're you know he's definitely going to get nailed for but you know the the deaths in that prison and things like that are, go on you know gone go uninvestigated so i think that there's whether it's intended or not there's like an implicit social critique in that if you if you evade your taxes you're going to get done for that but what really was going on in that prison just turn a blind eye to it in in many ways so i think there is a kind of critique of that wider society whether it's uh, intended or not in that movie i think you're right yeah uh absolutely. when you look at the the prison system uh yeah you don't get the sense that they're they're getting vetted very often or people coming in to 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 observe what is happening it just seems to be like this this almost like this purgatory doesn't it? you know that exists unto itself it seems very isolated yeah. and abstract in a way that uh the warden is not accountable to anyone uh, and i think that lack of accountability means that he and his guards could run it in the way that they do and you know the the prison guard that's particularly sadistic the warden doesn't really care um yeah what how he behaves really there's there's probably a kind of contempt for uh many of the prisoners that they're dehumanized I th- yeah, it's it's an it's it's like he, he he works so well the warden as a kind of um, contrast to Andy because obviously he has the kind of freedom to do as he pleases that comes with that position as you were suggesting of unaccountable power. But in his case, you know, again, there's the kind of Christian al- allegory here. You know, it's that kind of power corrupts story in a way that he seems, you know, he he comes to believe in his own infallibility and he, yeah. and he takes part in these increasingly you know, bold and greedy and exploitative acts, you know, and, and yeah. as you said, wields the power of life or death and, and you know, has a kind of psychopathic callousness in a way, you know, the, the young the young prisoner that could spoil it by by helping to clear Andy's yeah. name. He has him killed. I mean, it's unbelievably ruthless. Um, yes. Yeah, and, I know, mean, she, that was one of the darkest movies. Uh, sorry, one of the darkest uh, scenes in the movie um when well, the young man is 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 killed and, and i mean again both these characters you know the guard hadley who you know almost smiles you know can could could kill a person absolutely without any any reason any any you know uh, without batting an eyelid essentially and, and again the warden that could order a death in that way just because it you know his business interests if you could call them that were were under threat at that yes. point you know so just the the worst kind of human corruption really acts in those two characters well it is um, yeah i mean it uh, you know I, I do believe that if the warden had pursued um, you know, what uh, Andy had told him and Andy had had a hearing and had been acquitted that yeah. he wouldn't have daubed the, the warden in. I mean, yeah. he says that he wouldn't do that. I don't think he would have, but the warden doesn't believe in that level of trust and integrity. He doesn't recognize it. He doesn't know it. Sure. And, and yep. so his view is if I let this man out, he he, he is going to turn me in. And and so and and because he has no respect for you know the prisoners' lives, uh, he could just get that young man killed. Just yeah. as we see that uh, prisoner arrive along with Andy, you know, is killed on that night by the sadistic guard. Yeah. Um, I think what way. we see from a psychological 
uh, point of view is the real dangers of splitting. And, you know, this is something that we all do to some extent. You know, we split people into, you know, good and evil, innocent yep. and guilty. What Clyde, Melody Clyde was talking about, the psychoanalysts, is that we, we can split um, you know, features and then identify with what we think is the, the more desirable yes, element. Yep, sure. And the danger of that then is that if you're in an environment where you've got the license to do that psychological splitting and society also backs you up that these prisoners are the baddies, then you can mm -hmm. then feel that you're innocently good. And I think that's influenced how the warden and the sadistic guard look at themselves. They feel that they are a different kind of species to the prisoners. In a way, ironically, they're right, because yes. the level of sadism is something that we don't see um, in uh, in the prisoners. Of course, that is... Uh, that is cleverly done because, you know, unfortunately there would be some prisoners that probably are as sadistic as them in real life. You know, if you're looking at a typical yeah. prison population, but, yeah, yeah. but you, but, you know, leaving aside that aspect, uh, they are actually different to the prisoners because they're more sadistic, more inhumane. And yes. And I think that's the danger of seeing yourself believing in your own goodness and innocence to that extent. Yeah, I think that's an intriguing um, point, Alec. The, the as you said, this sort of socially sanctioned splitting that this in, these kind of institutions create um, does actually cause this kind of peculiar inversion. Because you're right. I mean, the prisoners in the film, apart from I think it's Boggs, you know, the ones that, are, that attack and rape Andy, and so mm. aside from those, you know, sadistic individuals, obviously it was realistic enough to show there are such people. Most of the prisoners are portrayed fairly positively and seem like reasonably okay people or reasonably good people in some cases whereas yeah as you said it's precisely the the superior position that's accorded these guards that of course it's a you know it's it's attracted sadistic individuals actually like hadley who would who would love that you know that that ability to be violent and wield power over others and in his case it's not clear probably you would imagine he's become captain of the guards he's become more and more violent and he's been rewarded within mm. that system and and it's similar story with the warden i mean it was i'm not sure i, I don't know what your take on this would be his you know these religious you know um verses that he spouts I wasn't entirely sure whether the film was suggesting this was this was completely cynical necessarily you know or whether he actually did to some extent actually still believe himself to be a good figure or whether it was just completely to mask his, his, you know, his, his money-grubbing activities. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I, you know, well, I mean, that's yeah. a good question. Uh, my sense was that he did actually believe in those um, values as he understood them. Yeah, I thought that too. Uh, I think there was a sincerity there, but it was so profoundly misguided. But then, you know, I'm sure there were people that believed they were good Christians and yet they were Nazis. Yeah. Uh, murdering Jews. Yep. So I'm sure you get you you, you had that. It's actually um, yeah. That Absolutely. that real moral blindness um there. That yes, I think the warden that um he because he was the warden and not a prisoner, and yet he was overlooking, overseeing these prisoners, I think he believed that his salvation was assured. <laughs> he thought yep. that uh, he was, you know, doing the right thing, that he was a good man, yeah. and that he knew the way. Uh, when he was, you know, uh, a much more corrupt 
person than many of the prisoners. Uh, he did not see that irony. Neither did the the head prison guard. Um, I think you're right as and well. I think also if you look at it from a psychological point of view, that uh, I mean, Red just says this is an offhanded comment, but he says that when Hadley's taken away, he cried like a baby mm. uh, when he's lifted by the police for his tax <laughs> evasions. That he cried like a baby, and I think okay, we could just take that as a uh, as a kind of irony that we could laugh at him you know because he was so awful to other people he was a murderer actually yeah, yeah. but but i think it, there is a kind of psychological depth to be plumbed there which is that you know perhaps when he was beating these prisoners up he was beating up uh, the vulnerable side of himself that he had contempt for as well you often see that in sadis yeah that's a, that's an interesting point i think you're right um i mean it was you know he was so remarkably super sensitive in a way because you know the 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 the, the horrific you know killing and the, the start the film of the you know the prisoner who almost essentially has a panic attack and can't be quiet yeah you know it's like to hadley he, he he reacts as if that's some kind of personal descent you know well either he, he you know it's like for him obedience must come and it just must be crushed and as you said it's 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 deranged you know that level of you know, that that could generate such anger when somebody's obviously in a state of extreme fear. But yeah, it's like he is crushing something literally. I think you're right. That's also within himself. He just can't tolerate the sight of it. Weakness, he has a, he has a, yeah, he has a profound contempt for that weakness or for that fear. He can't sit, he cannot empathize with the vulnerability of it. He cannot say, well, this is a man that has found himself in prison, a very life-changing moment, a very scary moment. And he can't see the humanity in the other because I think he has disowned that part of himself. And that, that's another reason why he's so hardened and so sadistic. Definitely, um, and I think it's interesting as well that you know the the this as you described earlier this this kind of scenario where this this has been possible this kind of splitting and the, you know this this kind of route towards corruption and horror that the, the the guards and the warden experience is is exactly made possible by the kind of the, the the social conditions you know this kind of hierarchy whereby it's it's made possible for those with power. To be unaccountable in certain environments and how 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 un, un, you know grotesque that can become. Um, I, I wondered just as a sort of supplementary to this, you know, do you do you think this film what is offering here is actually a critique of of imprisonment in general, maybe for that or or just for other reasons as well, or do you think that's it's not really you know, the, the I mean, if, message if, isn't quite so far reaching? Yeah, well, I mean, if if you're if you're portraying a, you know, the the head prison guard as particularly sadistic, and you're you're conveying the fact that he's reached that position as you intimated through probably being the most sadistic, that yeah. there is an implicit critique uh, there. I mean, I'm not saying that that Stephen King, for example, saw it as a as fundamentally a critique of the prison system um no. because again it is set in the past for one thing yeah um but i'm sure it, it's a critique of a society where prisoners are seen as the other and then they're left to a system that there's no real accountability and those that are more sadistic can 
rise in position, in power and influence, then it does seem like it is a critique of that kind of prison system. Um, to me, in as far as it was a critique, there was, uh, it was you know, the, the scenario with the library seems to me to be um, a critique because, you know, Andy is able to create that library, build it up, um, mainly because he, he's helping to fill out these tax-dodging forms for the, the warden. I mean, you know, the warden did tell him that uh, the library would be closed down too sweet if yes. he did not comply with what he wanted. So, in a sense, it is a, the library is a testament to Andy's patience and dedication. Uh, it's also a testament to his shrewdness, you know, helping the, the warden out. But it is saying that ordinarily at that time in a prison, there would not be that level of culture, not that level of developing uh, prisoners' potentials. Um, I, th I, th I think so. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think insofar as there is a critique, and as you said, I think we could we could overstate that. But I mean, insofar as there is, I think you're right. That to me, it struck me that there was kind of both a moral dimension and a kind of more instrumental dimension to that critique, because obviously this is very much, you know, sh showing the horror of, of a situation in which you know the, the, the you know prison is is created such as to be humiliating, intimidating. You know, the delousings, the cold showers, yeah. the beatings, all this kind of stuff. So it's very clearly, as you said this is prison as it was in the past at the time the film was made. So clearly that's a fairly straightforward critique of that kind of brutality and inhumane yes. conditions. But I think you're right. That To me, there's an instrumental point as well, actually, because the, the library and what we see, you know, how hard it is for Andy to convince politicians or those in, you know, those in kind of office that, that um, it's worth spending a little bit of money trying to let prisoners have access to books and do qualifications Obviously, a kind of, you know, a more modern um, take on prison would be that, you know, apart from the fact it's good for the individual prisoners as people, it's also good for society if you yeah. create people that are rehabilitated. You know, they can get jobs and they yeah. can, they've, yeah. they've learned to be better human beings. So there's a kind of instrumental factor there that prison yes. wasn't really yeah. done very well. You know, it's just essentially cruel and ineffective. Um, in that well, system. yes, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, if, if, we're, if it was left to the devices of Hadley, and the warden, then what lessons are people really learning? I'm, uh, I mean, rehabilitation under that sort of regime is like learning just to fear authority. Is that what rehabilitation is about? Is that the essence of it, that if you are let go, if you're released from the, the prison, that just just uh, fear your, your, uh, your bosses and your figures of authority, your superiors, as it's often called, is that the lesson that they wanted them just to learn? Yeah. Um, that isn't really much of a rehabilitation of a human being. It's not really the development of a human being. Whereas Andy understood that having this this library and this chance for uh, prisoners to get an education was not only good for their own self-respect, it was also good for society because they could go back into that world with a greater self-respect and a greater chance of contributing to that society in a constructive way, which is, as you say, good for society. Yeah, it's like, um, as you intimated earlier, you know, the implicit mindset 
that the, the, the you know the prison staff and and I guess it suggests in society to some extent at that time operated under was that if you're imprisoned you're a degenerate and and it's essentially like your life is effectively over at that point you know I mean obviously we see Red keep you know his parole keeps getting rejected and rejected yeah. and Brooks the elderly prisoners well they've they've kept them in for so long that they can't that's it they're, they're they might they've just warehoused them to the point of death really it's like you know they're, they're <clears throat> yeah. seen as irredeemably bad and in a very lazy way you know without really thinking about well are they you know or what what might they be capable of yeah um well i mean you, you know that in the victorian era it was very common to see prisoners as degenerates as regressive yeah. in in some way closer to the animal i mean we covered that with jekyll and hyde you know that ideology yeah. sure and probably back in the the 40s and 50s in america that yeah it would it would be seen as that they were losers nobodies degenerates and uh then the thing is about containing them but then there's this rehabilitation program. And how is that meant to work out if uh, you, you don't treat them with, uh, you know, humanity and encourage their self-respect and, and give them a chance to, um, you know, fit back into society? I mean, you know, if you look at the young man that was uh, killed by the warden, shot by Hadley, that yeah. he was someone that probably didn't have much chances in his life up until that point. And then you know, Andy's uh, tuition helped him to get the education that would have been precisely what he needed to go back into that world and uh, join it in such a way that he could contribute and obviously help his own family um, yeah, there. So, the, But that is not what Hadley and the warden understand. No. Um, I mean, what, what, what you kind of see there is is a sort of mentality that I'm just thinking about Charles Lawton's Captain Bly. Okay. That, you yeah. know how he his attitude towards you know um you know the, the sailors on his uh, ship is similar to Hadley and the Wardens. You know, this you know how how Bly says I'm your captain, your judge and your jury here. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that's the thing that there is this concentration of power in someone with great moral poverty and what comes with that is a is a disturbing paranoia towards other people so Hadley and Bly not that they're in the same movie <laughs> but Hadley <laughs> and Bly have the same view which is that these people need to be kept down you've got to intimidate them you've got to uh, strike fear in them because that's the only way that they're going to behave I think that's a great point. I mean, as you said, it's a fundamentally paranoid view, and it's and and I thought you know it's really interesting that again the the issue you raised earlier about the fact that you know these deaths in prison that are obviously there's no doubt an official story being given. There's no sense that they're investigated. It's just assumed that prisoners will die from yeah you know well it's beatings and and of course they say oh it was an escape attempt and and that that um, level of potential crime is seen as not worth looking at you know because precisely of a, a you know a kind of paranoid view that these people are sort of you know not even second class citizens you know just just dehumanized whereas as you suggested the tax dodging boom you know it's, it's there's certainly a sort of implicit sense of a, a society with very skewed values at that time yes um, yeah because i mean you know him cheating on his taxes like that is something to 
to be flagged up and prosecuted, but the fact that, you know, they swooped down on him, literally, in that <laughs> prison, yeah. um, the degree of shame involved is an excess to, you know, what would have happened if he, if there had been some inquiry well, um, he, he, about he commits, the deaths of he these prisoners. Suicide, doesn't he? Rather yeah, than exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think the point the, the film is making, whether intentionally or not, is that Yes, this society will query tax forms, <laughs> but yeah. it won't really query deaths in a prison. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and you know, so it, it's it's the thing of priorities not being quite right uh, there. I mean, you know, the the prisoner that dies at the start of the movie, I'm sure there was no in inquiry. They would just say that. Uh, you know, he suffered a heart attack or something, or yeah. he, you know, they had to, they had to, you know, quiet him down, and he got aggressive, so they hit him, and this happened. Or there'd be many reasons that could, many stories that could come up with, um, yeah, to account for that. And it's not something that the wider society or even prison service think it's worth investigating. But your tax forms—that's a different story. Your tax. Uh, you know, forms. That's a different sort of story altogether. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I think it's interesting as well. Again, that that same mindset. You know, in the way that parole hearings are depicted in the films. You know, because obviously we see we see Red at a point in his life where he's a, he's a you know a middle aged man. I guess he he's committed a murder in his youth. We don't know an awful lot about about it, other than we know that he's changed a lot as a person, and he realizes you know that he's done something horrible, and he seems to have you know, genuinely repented. But, you know, the parole hearings where he he, he obviously tries to say what they want to hear, um, they, they you know, it's 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 impossible. He can't get through to them and, and they're, they're just not interested in paroling him. You know, it's like it's a kind of box ticking exercise whereby yeah. he's murdered somebody, he's therefore never to be released until he's so old that he's no longer any kind of risk. But again, there's... You know, obviously, some people would take the view that if you murder somebody, you should have a whole life sentence and so on. That's a slightly different debate. But certainly, there's no real belief in the possibility of rehabilitation. And as you said, the, you know, these people have obviously, you know, had starts in life that are going to lead them to make bad choices. It doesn't mean they're irredeemable, you know, evil natured people. In, in all no, cases, you know, no. Well, I mean, that is certainly not <clears throat> the, the, the view that the movie is is uh, proposing you know or yeah. espousing uh they obviously believes in redemption and uh, yeah. you know it's not saying that you know once a killer or murderer always a killer or murderer we don't know the circumstances of that murder with red you know yeah. who he, who he murdered i don't think i recall it anyway it, it being... really doesn't go into other than he just and, yeah laments it as a young man yeah i mean it was it, it, <clears throat> it was something that he did as a young man it's not clear what it exactly the circumstances i think it's kept deliberately vague yes so that it's again easier to to see that redemption but this the idea for rehabilitation i mean in one sense you could see why we have it, um, but the but the danger of it is, as you say, it can become a box ticking exercise. But another danger of it is that it can implicitly assume that the society that you were potentially rejoining is not the problem, or isn't a problem at all. 
anyway. I think that's a more accurate way of putting it, that it isn't a problem at all, which I think is as much a problem as the prisoners having committed crimes. Um, yeah. it, you know, re rehabilitating the individual overlooks the fact that maybe society has to be rehabilitated in some ways too. final question we're going to get onto was about this issue of redemption and um, one one thing i read that was interesting was that the film it, it was a disappointment in terms of um you know number of people that came to see it when it was first released at the cinema and mm. uh, they, they, they put that down to the fact of the, the title of the film the shawshank redemption just mm. being something that maybe confused people and, and apparently it was really only when it was i think it was it came out in vhs yeah, and through right. word of mouth you know blah 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 it became yeah. a, a hit kind of um belatedly so but anyway in terms of the issue of redemption you know that is that is in the title of the movie what um do you see I know we've touched on this earlier, but what do you see as the redemption, given, of course, that Andy is actually innocent of the crime that he's he's convicted of? Yeah, well, I mean, my my take on that is that it's not got anything specifically to do with Andy's redemption. I think the redemption is for Red, not, okay. not Andy. Right, interesting. Um, because, as you say, Andy was innocent. Yeah. He does not need redeemed, actually, but he is the way to Red's redemption. Um, okay, yeah. And the reason I say that is that Red goes through this eternal return, or so it seems, of parole meetings, or you know, yeah. you know, to see for whether he could be rehabilitated or not. And he just comes in, and he doesn't really fight for himself, or he doesn't really believe that he could ever be rehabilitated. He's probably not sure whether he is rehabilitated. He doesn't have a concept of it. He has no sense of what he could become or what he now is yeah. until he meets Andy. And his friendship with Andy gives him a sense of his own goodness and how he's changed, that he is not remotely that murderer when he was 17 or whatever age he was as a young man. He can, he can recognize a journey. He has made a journey, and he could believe in his own goodness, and believing in that, he can go to that final meeting and be very honest about his regret. It's, yeah. I think he could only acknowledge the regret when he could also recognize what he's achieved as a person since then. I think that's a really interesting take on it, Alec. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, my, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, my, what struck me. Was was the idea that was, I I thought the redemption was was about both Andy and Red. I I, I think I mean just um you know because the I looked you know the definition of redemption it suggests the action of being sa saving or being saved from sin error and evil and and obviously you could say there's Andy is doing to some extent the saving of Red. I I kind of wondered whether the the redemption if there was any redemption for Andy as well. I mean we could you know that may may or may not be the case. You could say you know somebody who was living a an unhappy life lacking in meaning 
um, he, he talks about the fact that his, he, he feels he ruined his marriage because he was such a closed book. You know, it's like he he feels rightly or wrongly he's judging himself yeah. for that for a failure maybe to communicate with his wife and and bridge that gap. So you know, if there if there's a redemption for him, perhaps you could say, you know, he's he feels that he's making up for you know bad choices and 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 you know mistakes hmm. he's made to some yeah. extent but but i must say i do agree with you about red because i mean obviously the fact that you know that the film ends with the you know the two friends reunited on the beach i mean red is fundamental to this you know happy happy ending in this film and and exactly as you said he's red's been in there longer he's waited a long time and he's also more dependent actually you know he, he's needing saved because he can't save himself you know yeah he, well i think i think that yeah i mean you, you know there's a lot of interesting points you made there and uh, you know the first thing i would say is that i see red as um maybe not the main character in a way but the protagonist nevertheless you know that he is the one that has that journey more as an individual yeah. sure. and that um even if he's not necessarily the main character in a way it's got parallels to one flew over the cuckoo's nest in that mcmurphy is the catalyst for the chief you know the indian uh patient yes in the hospital who has who, who, you know in his case breaks free i'm sure that's been an influence on this movie because again it is about escaping a repressive institution sure yeah, and it's yeah. got a similarity of you know of uh the the chief escaping you know it, it's maybe not quite as dramatic as uh, andy's escape yeah. but there is a similar similar uh you know feeling to it um yeah i think an argument could be made that andy has a, a redemption of sorts but for me yes even if he had those weaknesses um in his uh pre-prison life and you know his choices in, in the prison uh change him mm. i think it it it's uh yeah i think it, it's a more subtle change and so it's not a more obvious redemption i know that i know that when he confessed to those weaknesses in his pre-prison life, that that was that was important to him to growing as a person in a way. Yeah. But but whether that ain't, whether that explained the adultery is another question. You know that is. Of course. Yeah. You, you know, so I wasn't quite sure how much blame he should take in that regard. You know, he, he did seem to 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 explain the adultery solely by his own neglect as he saw it yeah and there is that issue that you know how reliable his judgment is there he might be telling the truth he might be spot on or it may be more complicated it's a bit like when clients come to sessions and they uh when they open up about uh mistakes they've made you have to be careful because you know it seems like a moment of growth and it may be but then people have a capacity through guilt to misrecognize or even distort what has happened so yeah. it could be complex it could be a complex process of working out where blame can be accorded really there and because yes. we didn't really see that in andy's case yep um that's why it didn't seem so much a redemption to me 
But I agree that maybe it's seen as one in a way, whereas Red's journey, you know, okay, we don't know about why, who he killed and why he killed them, but we're kind of more, we're, we're obviously in Red's head. You know, we get we hear his thoughts, yes. the voiceover. And and so we're a bit more privy to, to that change um, there. But yes, I'm not wanting to monopolize what interpretation uh, there. What, the reason I offered the interpretation that I'd given was just to emphasize, in my view, that there was a redemption. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yes, the I think also that because Andy has, as some critics have have uh, suggested, you know, albeit they saw it in quite a negative way, because he has some messianic shadings or Christ like dimensions to him yeah it, it, it's 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 not you know red is somebody that is you know uh human you yeah, know yeah. through and through whereas i think that that juxtaposition of andy as a human being with flaws like emotionally neglecting his wife along with the messianic elements kind of blend together in an uneasy way to think about redemption and yeah so whereas with red he's he's never meant to be anything but a human being albeit you know a particularly good human being uh whereas um whereas you know andy has a number of narrative and symbolic duties to perform in that movie yeah i, th I think i think that's a fair point yeah i mean i think i suppose yeah using words like redemption you know suggests you know a kind of miraculous or almost religious element to what's happening you know it's something kind of magical and obviously as you said that requires the kind of messianic or or you know the the, the character that's almost beyond human to make something miraculous happen so yeah i i think i think that's that's a fair point um yeah it's it's, it's 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 um i'm sure i'm sure the redemption was meant to include andy as well i'm just saying that it is a a bit more complex in in his case at least in my opinion i think yeah i think so i mean it's one of the kind of nicely you know nuanced things about the film it's also um you know, one of the other nice things about it, obviously it's such an incredibly popular film um, and, and people who watch the film have often described it as having a kind of, you know, almost redemptive effect on themselves. And um, there was one, I read one quote actually when I was looking about it, uh, 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 so, you know, because like um, both Morgan Freeman and uh, Tim Robbins talk about the fact that wherever they go, constantly mm -hmm. people tell them how much they like this film and how mm, much it moved mm. them and it had a big impact on their life you know so it's obviously you know both have been in a lot of films i mean morgan freeman in particular has been in so many films a lot yes. of really good films but this movie really resonated with the public and continues to actually you know 20 plus years after and um, there was actually apparently one um former inmate of the the, the actual prison that was used you know mm. as the setting for the film obviously being closed at that point who who said he had renounced a life of crime and drugs and become a trainee pastor and so on after having watched that film yes. you know i mean it's just it's remarkable so it certainly has an uplifting quality to it really doesn't it there's something really quite special about it um, yes well i mean you know the idea of freedom and redemption is such a powerful theme it is such a powerful motive yeah and you could argue a bit like how it is in one flew of the cuckoo's nest as well that that we're that we're all 
or a lot of us are in our metaphorical prisons. And, uh, you know, we have to, or we, we can, if we've got enough courage and hope and fortitude that we can break free from that. And that, that is like a fundamental hope. And, and if, if you're a Christian, say, you, you would also think it reflects the fact that this this world is is a prison itself in some ways. You know, it is not the underlying reality, but it is something that you have to in, endure and uh, do your best in to, to then uh, lead to another better world. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a point, isn't it? It takes, you know, a very specific, vivid, prison setting you know but as you say you know because because I, I think apparently notoriously prison films sometimes have kind of limited appeal you know some people don't like to watch films about prison or they find it too upsetting yeah. but as you said it it's because that you can you can really take so much from this about life more broadly about yeah about the importance of hope and freedom um yeah it is so inspiring actually even even you know for, for people who it might not be their kind of typical kind of film or they might not like the violent elements or whatever it may be you know there is just something really human about this and really kind of um touching upon some of our highest aspirations actually in this film you know in a way that's i don't think is is cheesy actually i think it really is quite well done you know and quite genuinely moving Um, yeah well i mean that that using the rock hammer to build this tunnel to break free i I mean that that's that's a testament to doing something daily towards achieving something of note it could be achieving something that isn't a form of redemption but it could include that yeah. of course it can but it and, works so that, well doesn't it as a kind of metaphor for just well, it does it does i mean yeah. you, you know you you could say that that most of us are doing that or trying to do that and despair well there'd be various forms of despair one would be that believing there's no tunnel out Mm, that would be one form of despair another form of despair is to you know create a bit of the tunnel then give up yeah you know and not to continue not to have the patience and the dedication to see it through but what we have is a brilliant illustration of someone that had all the qualities needed to break free yeah, and and I mean, you know, that is uh, watching it and identifying with the characters. It can be a very inspiring message. I, yeah. th- I think when you start to probe it a bit more, that you you can start to think, well, goodness, there's got to be a lot that has to come together to achieve this, and that yeah. is one of the reasons why you know many of us don't do an andy in our actual lives um yeah that's it's a good point that i mean there's the famous line you know about andy but that red says something like some birds just aren't meant to be caged their feathers are too bright so i suppose yeah yeah, if you're i guess if you're religious you know the film that you know essentially as you said the redemption for red is because andy is this exceptional you know beyond human character but but yeah it's not that red could do this for himself actually because you know it's su- such a rare combination of factors are needed to be an andy and not everybody can be an andy so it then kind of leads to the question of it's hopeful in a way this film but but yeah you're right there is also the issue of 
what would people make of that in terms of what they could do for themselves? You know, if I they mean, the, an, the Andes, well, the Andes of this world, in a way, don't need anyone else. Yeah. You know, they, they will be able to achieve their own salvation. And I think in this movie, we're meant to identify more with red, this idea yep. that we're all reds. We need we need an Andy in our life to to help us achieve that. And that may be true, but I think I, I think if you're looking at it in a in a realistic way, that there's not many reds either, mm. to be honest. You know, so while yeah. red is meant to be the everyman, he's not really that he's not really the everyman actually. No, he's um, quite an exceptional you know, guy too. Yeah, you're right. You know, he's right. quite exceptional too, but yeah. he's meant to be the everyman, you know, just like Josh Bailey was the everyman, uh, I believe. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't see much evidence of that. And uh, so Red is quite unusual too. Um, so when you actually look at these two people, you, you see um, a thing of exceptionality there. And yeah. it, while it may be inspiring to viewers how um how easy it is to emulate it is another matter yeah it's funny i mean one thing that struck me you know both positively and negatively you could you could see this film as a kind of christianized take on the american dream really you know because obviously andy has a kind of fall and rebirth but mm. due to these incredible personal qualities and his perseverance he gains freedom wealth as well actually because he cashes in yeah. on the wardens you know so there is a kind of so yeah, it's like both that's a possibility, but also it's a rarity. You know, not everybody's going to do that. Well, know? well, it is in reality. I mean, yeah. you know, the the narrative psychologist Dan McAdams, he's written about uh, narratives redemption being so prevalent in America. You know yeah. that that they love narratives of redemption, and this is certainly a narrative, literally of redemption. Yeah. And as you say, there is the the American dream aspect because yeah, this is an aspect we haven't really discussed too much here. But um, you, you know, Andy Dufresne was uh, vice president of a bank, yep. and um, there is there is a critique of society implicitly, but there is also this sense of someone that's the vice president of a ma of a bank could also be a Christ-like figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good true. luck with that one it's, in reality. Uh, yeah. But I think that's that's why it's sort of <laughs> appealing to a number of bases. You you know that that you could watch this if you're an American as a Democrat, I think, can relate to, but also yep. as a Republican. Yeah. So in that way, it's, it ends up being a little bit apolitical in that regard, you know, or or at least adhering to what is seen as core values of that country, like the, the thing of, um, uh, you know, achieving something and achieving wealth, because, uh, you know, Andy does achieve that. He had it before prison, of course, and he has it after prison. And... You, you can see the difference between him and the old man that that uh, that was the librarian. That when he leaves prison, he has to get a very ordinary job, you know, yeah. packing groceries at a supermarket. Yep. Um, whereas Andy, having been a vice president of a bank, when he leaves, he can he has the financial savvy to um, you know go away with all that money. And uh, you know, yeah. lead lead this great life. So, yes, the, the, it's like an amalgam of different things here. 
It's a good point. Um, yeah, maybe that does because obviously we've talked a bit about the kind of social critique aspect, but I think it's true there is something actually for everybody on all sides of the political spectrum there that they could see as to some extent their values coming across in this film, and as you said, maybe because they're particularly American values or American Christian values or or however you would you know that yeah it's going to have that wide appeal and. Yeah, when you maybe look at it a little bit more closely, maybe maybe it is a little bit suspect in some sense, or a little bit. Well, I think I think know. that you know, um, I think it has to be you know that inspiring messages are ones that that obviously can be very motivating to us yeah. by the very definition, and maybe the trick in life is getting a balance between inspiring or being inspired and also something that can survive scrutiny too yeah and, it's a tricky and, balance uh, it's it? a very <laughs> tricky balance and it, and you know i i think that this movie is very inspiring and it, it offers up a, a metaphor for our lives you know yeah. that we're all digging our own tunnels yeah or we, we can or should be uh, and so so say if you're in a job that you don't like at all uh, but you see a good retirement ahead. That's your tunnel. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but of course, life being life, um, you might die a week after you retire, or you might not get to your retirement. Sure. Um, so one of the things that that I felt watching this movie um, was that you know it was very Hollywood in a sense. And yeah. That there was this great poetic justice. Um, you know, it was very well written, uh, but it was very much of that ilk where good wins out on in every way, really. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, it, so in a way, it was both inspiring. I must admit, I cried at the end of it. Yeah. Um, so I was very moved by yeah, it. It yeah. was inspiring. Yeah. But it was also somewhat part as well yeah it's true um, i mean i suppose that's it isn't it these kind of inspirational films are great you know but you can't you know necessarily let it go to your head entirely as well there's both it's lovely to be moved by these things but of course we can't confuse it with reality completely although it's got its real hopeful you know or, or idealistic in a way elements of it that, that are motivated well i think know. i think so yeah i mean i mean the I think the reality is that in actual life, we have to work out as best as we can um, what we should be inspired by, what we should work towards, and what we should be resigned to. And there's no real roadmap for that, and it's so easy to get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we don't... Uh, um, we don't really know. And, yeah. um, you We're know, not, have, yeah. having hope is certainly necessary for life. So, But it's it's what we should hope and when we should hope and to what extent we should hope is never that clear. I mean, Frankel in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, gives, it gives a good example of that because uh, some of the prisoners were hoping that they would be liberated from Auschwitz near Christmas time. Mm, and then when yeah. that liberation never came, many of them died, you know, yeah. defeated, demoralized. And so hope is a, is a very necessary thing. But one of the things that this movie doesn't portray is that hope can be dangerous or it can be ironically uh, damaging yeah. as well. Hope is not just 
this unalloyed good, you know, this this pure good. It is it's a complex thing. We need to have hope, but what we hope for and to the extent that we hope, yeah, we have to be careful there. I think so. I mean, I guess, yeah, you know, in Andy's situation in this film, it's so straightforward. He's in prison. He shouldn't be. He doesn't yeah. want to be. And what he hopes for is freedom. It's such a straightforward path. But yeah, as you said, in a way, life's, it's hard to know necessarily what, what to hope for in some cases, or maybe people hope for something like you suggested. Maybe somebody's hoping for a retirement, but but yeah, maybe actually that's you know, a kind of a wrong path for them insofar as maybe they need to, to act sooner rather than grinding out at something unsatisfying. You know, there's obviously lots of ways in which our choices are less clear cut, you know, as to what is the right thing to do and how much hope should be motivating us or, you know, or well, not. Well, it is. And, 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 and I can't remember the precise words, but, you know, Plato had, had, had uh, written that, uh, you know, that you mortals shall have whatever you want. And uh, you, you know that will be your downfall. That was the sentiment okay. there. So there was yeah. this sort of sinister warning that um, you know that is more colloquial expressed. Beware of what you wish for, because you may get it. Yeah. So you know people can hope for something, attain it, and then they realise either the vanity of it or that it actually comes with downsides. You know that. Yeah. So hope is not a straightforward thing, no. and yet as this movie illustrates and as Frankel illustrated, we need it. But, yeah. You know, it is what sustains us. Yep. But, it, it, you know, it isn't something that we just do and it'll all work out well. Uh, yeah. Frankel saw that himself in Auschwitz. Yeah, I think you're, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But yeah, that is, that is where, that's the sort of more bittersweet well, that was case, just my sense of it all. Yeah, that's um, it. Yeah, it's, you know, that, that um, it goes back to the point I made right at the beginning about our expectations uh, yeah. of life and of other people, that we we have to try and calibrate them as wisely as we can. And we it, it can be hard to know how much we're overestimating or underestimating being overly ambitious or underambitious isn't uh, yeah, really it's, clear it's, guidelines on that indeed yeah um I, I i am conscious obviously our time is is, is yes, kind of getting yeah. on here alec is is it such a fascinating subject matter and obviously you know there, there's we, we could go on obviously with, with, with probing that but I, I guess we'll maybe have to leave that for for another episode but um yes so, yeah thank you so thank you yeah for, for a good conversation thank yeah. you